Hello. Good morning. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Arcadians by Lloyd Alexander. Yeah. This, this one was, was pretty fun. <laughs> Thank you for the donkey haw. After Dog's Body, we wanted to cover a book that was going to be a little lighter, a little more of a romp, as Madeline would say. A romp. And we definitely found that with this book. I'm very glad that we covered this one next. This is one that I did read as a kid. I have my copy in Washington because everything I love <laughs> is in Washington. <laughs> it's not with me. I'm, you know, I'm really glad that this this weird, weird year is being uh, recorded for posterity on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no look back at it forever. This book was published in 1995, and it is a standalone book. I was much more familiar with the Chronicles of Perdain, as most readers from that period are. And this is a book where clearly he wasn't looking to build a whole epic it's not an epic fantasy it's 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 like a one-off sort of in my opinion experimental quirky goofy retelling Mm. of a lot of greek and other mythologies yeah that's just fun yeah i say this about a lot of the books we do but it it really i would play this video game (laughs) <laughs> for sure it really has that kind of like little this you would, know main this quest would be lines a, well i feel like this would be a sort of like indie game oh yeah um, for sure <laughs> it would be like you could play as the different characters oh, at different gosh. points and you'd get oh, stuck in, in so like good. fronto donkey body and oh grace we have awesome. to make this game it's gonna be really tough to get the rights <laughs> We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover, so if you haven't read this one before and would like to scamper off and check it out, there is a full cast audio audiobook that I was able to find through the library. There's also an ebook through the Seattle Libraries, so it's pretty accessible, even though it is a lesser known work of Lloyd Alexander's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although it's very difficult to find a plot summary online. <laughs> I know. Not a ton of discourse around this book. Well, that's we, that's great. We're we're doing another incredibly niche episode where like it's so niche that we become one of the more comprehensive like things about it. Yep, get ready to rank on page one of Google for the Arcadians. <laughs> no, it's like the first four search results are Arcadians with a C. I know. It just immediately over... It doesn't even say, did you mean to to say the Arcadians? It just like immediately makes that decision for you. Hilariously, I was trying to see if anyone had actually compiled all of the myths that are mentioned somewhere. So I googled the Arcadians Greek mythology and that brought up like hundreds of listicles of YA books that feature... Greek mythology in some form, and none of the listicles had this book. (laughs) So Google like figured out a piece of my query (laughs) in terms of like, okay, a YA book 
that has Greek mythology in it, but then was like, but no one's talking about it. Oh, so we heard funny. some other ones. That's good. And a lot of the criticism around this book was from people who I think were looking for something similar to the Chronicles of Pradane and then had like this goofy story about some, uh, you know, bumblers, bumblers uh, yes. making their way through the world. Yeah. This, this um, is a story about bumblers. It, I, it did make me think of uh, The Hobbit. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's look at the cover of the book. Let's see how the publisher chose to package and promote it. The copy that I had as a kid was the Penguin edition, and it's such a good cover. It's when a really I, great cover. I had forgotten this book, and I was doing one of my kind of like Goodreads-related book searches where I'm trying to remember some of the forgotten books from our youth that I might like to cover on the pod. And as soon as I saw this cover, I had one of those, you know, memento-style violent flashbacks <laughs> where it just streams back to your consciousness. So it features the main characters, Fronto in donkey form, Join the dance and Lucian, no, Lucian, 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 like Lucius Malfoy. It is a beautiful, um, I think, pastel piece of art and they are bent over a little stream or some kind of special pond. Some kind of special pond. Special <laughs> it has a pillar with roses twining up and it does it's not a stream I don't know why I said that and Joy in the Dance is looking kind of humorously at Lucien who is creating some sparkles in the water and has a sort of confused look on his face and then Fronto is in profile and making a really cute little like donkey face I don't know how else to describe it <laughs> But it's so warm and inviting. You really want to know these people's story. And I also love that Fronto has clearly been illustrated here as an enchanted human in a donkey body. Because you can tell that that's not just a regular donkey as soon as you look at him. Like, he's engaged in the conversation. He's on the same plane as them in the foreground. He's got a little smile. Exactly. Instead of being behind them or someone sitting on him, like he's very much a part of the momentum in the way that the cover is constructed. So absolutely love it. That's great. I, since I don't have the copy, I I wasn't able to find the artist, the name of the artist who did this. Um, But great job, Anonymous. (laughs) Madeline, would you like to provide a plot Summary mm. disclaimer this book is very loose and meandering, <laughs> so we are going to do our best here and kind of go through, I think, the stories that are told throughout the book as a kind of framing device for the plot itself. Luckily, Grace took really good notes that we can use as a reference uh, because I would recommend looking at the wiki for this. It's it's it, very interesting, so just check we that out. We think it might be a school project that yeah. has been committed to the internet. Yeah, yeah. So go, go check it out. See see if you agree with that, sir. We'll put the link on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Yeah, or maybe we're just being weird. But no, I, I think you'll agree with us. We're never weird. Never. How dare you? <laughs> We are normie core. As Grace said, there's a lot of just kind of 
it's a collection of stories and they intertwine and then meander away from each other and come back. There is, uh, uh, you know, Grace already said there's three main characters in this. They also gain and lose party members uh, throughout the the book. Um, so just keep that in mind as well. well. We'll go over some of those people in these stories. One of the stories is A City in Ashes, A King in Rags. And this refers to the... Prophecy. Yeah, the prophecy that Joy in the Dance makes as the Pythoness. Um, it's it's an oracle, uh, like a, a Greek-style oracle, like ancient Greece, um, and she's called the Pythoness. And it, it has a lot of characteristics of that kind of archetype. Um, but I I think that it's more complex than that, like a lot more, mm-hmm. honestly, because that's only one um, kind of minimal part of her personality for most of the book. Uh, because yeah. she makes the prophecy to the king at the very beginning of the book. Um, and that's part of it. A city in ashes, a king in rags. And the king doesn't like that. He wanted a positive prophecy. Yeah, he was there for a good time. Um, and so this makes him flip out. He wants to capture her and kill her. Like he's rooting out um, followers of, uh, the lady of the wild thing, lady of the wild things. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that, that's a big part of the story because throughout they're encountering results of that conflict in this story, by the end of the book, King Bromios is, is actually a party member. Um, and then he gets captured by his evil soothsayers who were Lucian's bosses. Uh, and he found out that they were embezzling, that they were skimming off the top. Um, and uh, so they chased Lucian out of the city uh, because they wanted to kill him because he knew. Um, so that's how Lucian's story starts. Uh, and- yeah. So the plot is set in motion by Joy in the Dance, who is the Pythoness who makes mm-hmm. the prophecy. That leads to turmoil in the kingdom because of this turmoil in part. Lucian, who is it? Lucian. I don't know why. It's fine. I don't know anyone named Lucian. It's fine. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it, Alexander is dead. Lucian. Um, Lucian, who is a bean counter in the king's service, yeah. discovers the embezzlement and then is chased out of town. And on the way out, he meets a donkey. He meets a donkey. Fronto is a donkey. He starts talking. So we realize that he is no mere donkey. And we find out um, in not too much time that he was a poet who was turned into a donkey because he he drank from a sacred spring that was sacred uh, to the Lady of Wild Things. And as punishment, he was turned into an ass. Uh, so great. So great. I honestly love that his like overarching tale as like he continually comes across followers of the Lady of Wild Things and they're just like, you're you are an ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> it makes it's sense. Fitting. Yeah. Um, but the reason that he drank from the spring is he was looking for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh so he, you know, he's an artist. He's just doing dumb artist things, uh, and so his uh, journey is uh, trying to get turned back into a poet. 
Um, like there's the, well, he's still a poet, but he sorry, wants to be a man back into a human uh, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to a jackass. Can't take his poetry away from him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he he just joins up with Lucian and uh, um, join the dance and like is moving towards the objective of getting turned back into a human. Fronto, since he wants to be turned back into a human. Uh, and then join the dance and Lucian decide that it might be really helpful for all of their objectives if they go to see the Lady of Wild Things. Um, because Lucian wants to find out what to do with his life. Yeah. And he thinks she's going to tell him. <laughs> he's, he's on a, um, a... He's like, self-improvement? I don't feel like doing that myself. <laughs> yeah. want someone else to guide me. Lucian is very much the character of, like in tarot, you would say he's the fool. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's at the very beginning of his journey and he's like just kind of... Uh, just bopping around and doesn't really have too much of a purpose at this point, but knows that he's on some kind of journey um, to find himself. So yeah. he literally wants to ask the um, the goddess of these people, what should I do with my life? <laughs> Which, yeah, I sounds mean, nice. Fair, yeah. They are on their journey and they begin to encounter a range of... Uh, fantastical, whimsical folks. They meet a man named Argius Ops, who was a local chief who also has a complicated backstory. And he was cast out of town because he was made a pharmacos, which is a scapegoat. And now his role in life is to take on everyone's worries and troubles and bad luck so that they don't have to suffer them themselves. So kind of concentrating all of the negative energy in one place. Yeah. They also meet the goat people who are a clear real life analog for satyrs because they have horns and they wear furs. And when they first see them, they look like half goat, half human people. Mm -hmm. And from there, a little goat boy named Ketchetik. A little goat boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also begins to kind of tag along with them and pop up at different times. Yeah. Then they meet the Horse Clan, which is a group of people led by Joy in the Dance's dad, who are real-life analogs for centaurs. And when they first see them, they think that they are half horse, half human, because they sit so far forward on their horses. Yeah, that it looks like they're one with their bodies. Yeah. And with each of these groups, they receive a variety of different tales about their versions of their own creation and also reasons behind the current tensions between the different groups and specifically the issues with the the bear clan, the bear people, mm-hmm. which is never really explicitly described. It seems to be like the white people who live in the city. And in and particular, are, like, it's 
the bear tribe is toxic masculinity. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we can label it for sure. Yeah. Um, and is connected to the Kings and the, uh, like, city folk who aren't really in touch with the more natural powerful side of things that these other groups that we encounter are it's um, imperialist uh toxic yes. masculinity that's right yeah so we throughout are not only hearing these stories but also learning about how to tell stories because Fronto is constantly interjecting with ways that the stories could be better or like what's impactful about them. Oh, Fronto. Even like mentioning specific literary devices and things like that. Yeah, he's, so he's it, a very funny um, like meta commenter. For sure. So they eventually do make it to the Lady of Wild Things. And there they learn that there are a few ways that Fronto could be changed back, but they're all, they all involve his likely death. Um, yeah. And like the one lady, of them that she says that he, he could try being immolated on a pyre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she says that, you know, she can't really change him herself. Like he took it on himself, so he has to fix it himself. And Lucian is told, you know, I can't just tell you what you're gonna be. She gives and everyone just a reality <laughs> check. <laughs> it's very the wizard and the wizard of oz, oh, except yeah. she doesn't even give them uh, you know, tangible representation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, please leave. Yeah. One of like the biggest points of conflict in the book, which again, I will say is meandering <laughs> is when they're sailing and they end up on the Isle of Tauros. So at this point they're sailing with a man named Otis, who is clearly Odysseus and yeah. he tells them stories about the Golden Fleece, which I want to talk more about later, and like a brush with Hercules, who he describes as like a brute carrying a club. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, like, yes. And his involvement in the Trojan War. Um, really fun stuff. Yeah. But he has taken on the task of sealing them. Okay, it is after because the Lady of the Wild Things gives them her seal and they use that to ask him to take them sailing. It's because they're trying to mm. get to the place where maybe Fronto can ter be turned back. Yeah. But it's like a That it's the like Lady a of shifting. Wild Things is like, you could try this. Yeah, you could try to get there, but it's you have to get there within the next two weeks because, look, you're turning into a full-on donkey. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he's hawing, and he's, like, getting Fronto more keeps, donkey. Yeah, making lots of donkey sounds and losing his higher faculties. So, they're sailing. My God, this summary is a mess. <laughs> and then, this is the problem with finishing the book and then waiting a week to record. Yeah. And they end up on the Isle of Taros, and they thought that they were just pulling off to get supplies and, um, yeah, directions, maybe. And <laughs> Directions, in, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and they are brought in as sacrifices for the bull fights. 
And in this version of Tauros, as with all the other stories of Greek myths, the magic has been taken out and instead we get realistic versions of what these stories originally actually were in reality. And then we reflect on how they become the stories that they end up being through a variety of embellishments and flat out lies. (laughs) And they managed to not only defeat the bull, but free the other humans who have been kept there as captives to fight against the bull. And they escape. Then they make their way back into Arcadia (laughs) because they're all turned around and confused. There's a horrible storm. They get washed up on shore. The boat is destroyed because Otis forgot to pour out some wine for Neptune or whatever. It is is Neptune. Neptune is is Poseidon. Yeah. Um, And then that's when they end up coming across the king, King Bromios, who is all tattered (laughs) and starving. He's a king in rags. A king in rags. The prophecy has come true, at least in that specific piece. And they... uh, learn from the king that his counselors decided and then told him that he should be immolated because lots of lots of immolation <laughs> it's a common because fix. then because then i know set it on fire set it on fire it into the fire <laughs> And once he is immolated, he will rise into the stars and spend all eternity as a constellation. And then he'll also be feasting in the hall of the gods. And like, doesn't that sound better than being alive? It reminds me of being a kid and learning about heaven and being like, I want to (laughs) die. No, and this is this is morbid, um, but I this is thoughts of a little kid because I remember learning that unaliving yourself was sinful yeah. and it meant that you couldn't get to heaven and I just like in my little kid way I didn't know about yeah. Catch-22 but I would really just yeah. be like well huh <laughs> I know I was like well that's convenient yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if, if it's like a beautiful perfect paradise that I'm like well right. like life is not <laughs> right So they return to the palace with the intent to, you know, make things right, figure this out. There's a big scuffle and a fight. And in the end, right as the counselors are trying to set Bromios on fire, the, uh, I can't remember exactly who does it, but they catch the whole room on fire and then the whole palace burns down. So then that piece of the, Uh, prophecy also comes true and in the process they think Fronto dies but instead he's immolated and it's a success it works becomes a human (laughs) yeah just some real problem accidental problem solving along the way Joy in the dance, who against her mother's command to stay with her and serve her as a pythoness has also tagged along yeah. and she and Lucian are like, we love each other. <laughs> and then um, Argius Ops and one of the Lady of Wild Things closest advisors are also like, we love each other. And then the <laughs> book ends with a double wedding. <laughs> and, then, and then Ops becomes emperor. <laughs> 
I really, I really think we need to start a list of fantasy books that ends end with double weddings. Double weddings, yeah. There's a surprising number That's of true. them because it's like, you know, a lot of these are told that from a like Christian perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and like there's a lot of Christian like just church influences in these stories mm-hmm. just from centuries of colonization mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, so I think that that is probably part of it but there there is also a lot of joy in that um, but the the marriage part specifically is what I'm talking about yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's so many different reasons that like we as a human society see a wedding as the perfect happy ending. And I think it's also yeah. kind of a wink wink that this story that's all about how to make good stories ends with like an absurd display of happy endingness, you know, yeah. it's like no, the definitely. most happy ending yeah. that you could possibly have. Like everything is set right. Everyone's going to go about their lives. They're all all their problems are solved. Lucian knows his purpose now. He's going to become a storyteller because he was so taken in by all the stories. But he's like, enough of this oral history stuff. I'm writing them down. Just coming in and and uh, white manning. <laughs> exactly. That's the really interesting part because the Lady of Wild Things and her people, they did originally write down their stories. But long ago, this is one of the creation myths that we get during the book um the leader of the bear people came to the lady of wild things and said he wanted to learn from her but it became clear that he had false motives and actually wanted to be able to take her power and kind of colonize, colonize. Her and her her mind <laughs> colonize this, her mind this book is very woke it's super woke <laughs> i know we'll, yeah we'll talk about that we'll talk about that almost to the point that if it were written today it would be like okay come on yeah like, <laughs> like it's a little heavy we get it yeah but it's, it was written in the 90s by lloyd alexander but like lloyd alexander i think is one of the wokest especially white male authors right that yeah. covered no, and for, I don't like I, using sure, wokest because it has such like a negative connotation at this point yeah. but he was really really thoughtful about violence imperialism war gender roles yeah. and the ways in which they restrict us like I think about Adayan from the Black Cauldron and his mm reflection on how you know because Taryn is looking at him and being like I want to have had all these great battles and adventures and he looks at him and is like I don't want any of this I want to like be home with my beloved and like my life's path is already nearly completed yeah um and is basically just like war is hell yeah there is no glory yeah let's let's not perpetuate this cycle of violence um, and I, it's funny because I actually think it's a pretty good primer for that. Like, I think mm-hmm. that the, I, I wish that this book were like more known. Um, mm-hmm. it, but the fact that the wiki seems like it was written by, uh, students is promising to be like, <laughs> oh, well maybe it's being taught in schools a lot. 
<laughs> we are just calling out this Wikipedia page. <laughs> I hope we get messages right. from the students. It's it's written like it's a book report, you guys. You could go look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it's really funny. Um okay. Anyway, I think there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, okay, yeah. So finishing up this thread and then we'll go on to old and new impressions. Yeah. Um the Lady of Wild Things, they they had been writing down their stories, but then when the leader of the bear people decided to fight her, then he and his band destroyed everything, they made everything in their worse. palace, um, and they ruined all of their scrolls, and that history was lost. So then they decided to move forward with oral traditions because that couldn't be taken away from them, except that can be taken away if you all die. And that's how we've lost lots of really specific cultural histories in our world. So many indigenous histories. Yeah. Um, But uh, that at the end, I I did find it very funny that Lucian is like, you guys really need to write this down. And everyone's response is sort of like, I guess you can do that. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Okay. So old and new impressions. Uh, did you read this when you were young? You did, I right? I did, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't really remember my impressions as a youngin, though. Um, I, I was very into a satisfying, um, like a romance with a happy ending. Uh, mm-hmm. with, and then it's like, yay, happily ever after. Like I'd always, I, I guess I've always just been intensely a monogamist. Yeah. <laughs> um, Some things you just can't fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. I am now married. <laughs> I know it, it came it for me. all of us. It got in me. The end. <laughs> um, so I, I remember being very pleased because I there was just a lot of like you know low key flirtation throughout yeah. the book, and then at the end they mm-hmm. just look at each other and they're like, "We love each other," and it's yeah, very, and they, they like, have a very a like t- totally, and their flirtation and romance is kind of childlike in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah, like because, she calls him "ie ouch." That's her. Yeah, like, because that's the sound he makes when she meets him, join the dance in Lucian. And there, she's always teasing him, and he's always trying to look cool in front of her, and then failing. And so, um, it's, yeah, so it's a very, it, has, it has like a real adolescent ring to it. Exactly, like it's a very relatable mm-hmm. romance story for mm-hmm. a youngin. Okay, so you liked the double wedding? Yeah, I, w- I was definitely a fan of that. I, I think mm-hmm. that it was a book that set a really high standard for that kind of happy romance ending. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I remember liking Joy in the dance and thinking Lucian was kind of dumb. Uh, he actually reminds me kind of of Aragon. <laughs> I don't know. I like Lucian a lot more than Aragon. Yes, definitely. But there definitely was some uh, dumb dragon boy uh, antics. Yeah. Like when he yeah. was being the most frustrating. When he played the... Like when he played the ball game with the horse clan in this horribly violent, dangerous game and they're in the middle of a really important quest and it's like, yeah, I'll risk my life to like show off a little bit while I chase this ball around on my drunk donkey man friend. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It 
it, obviously it's on a much, much smaller scale than this, but it reminded me a little bit of um, the fight like game that the slaves are forced to do in the Northman. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend, yeah. but only if you're old wow, enough. Wow, from, from Aragon to the Northman. <laughs> all stuff. kinds, all kinds of, of stuff in here are rather... Um, this came before any of that. Uh, yeah. So that's that's probably, that was my biggest takeaway this time, is it really reminded me how much of, um, not just Lloyd Alexander, but like definitely a rather small group of storytellers who were extremely highly influential um, mm-hmm. in like fantasy, all fantasy since. Yeah, and Lloyd Alexander is a name that I I have really noticed that he's just not brought up as much in the company of the other names that I think he belongs with when you talk about classic fantasy. And I wonder if some of it is that he's American um, and, uh, and a little bit more current. And also the Chronicles of Prydain are really complex they're really sad they're they're different from your typical fantasy epic and i mean not to toot my own horn but to toot i think those of us who (laughs) enjoy them are like the you know sort of the emo fantasy crowd like (laughs) where it is more like emo (laughs) fantasy especially the chronicles we're a different yeah we're we're a slightly different group um but but that said like his writing is so gorgeous the way that he is able to weave in other myths and folkloric traditions so beautifully and then at the same time like be light and humorous and have a lot of fun. Like it was so cool rereading this and seeing him just enjoying himself. Yeah. Yeah. This, this really seemed like a labor of love. Like you can see that in the book. My old impressions and my new ones. I loved Greek mythology as a kid there was, uh, I think, Wrath of the Gods, that, that PC I, game. I will be bringing up Wrath of the Gods. All right. You just stole my thunder. All right, all right. <laughs> Give it a whole big introduction. You can take this part out. I'm not going to. I want to be <laughs> honest with our <laughs> listeners. My transgressions are recorded for posterity. Now you hear how horrible Madeline is. <laughs> No, jokes, jokes, jokes. Jokes, So loved Greek mythology as a kid already. And then one day at my new school at the beginning of sixth grade, I was in computer lab the year 2000. Um, It was pre 9-11. It was. It was maybe it was maybe 99. Yeah, it was either 99 or 2000. I'm in the computer lab. I'm at my school that I switched mid year to. So like I'm already a big weirdo and a big point of discussion among my peers. And uh, we were doing some typing thing. And, you know, back in the day, like depending on how old you are listening to this, this will sound completely absurd, but the teacher would like write out a, a totally bizarre URL on the blackboard that had like... 
a string of 40 letters and numbers. And then you had to type it in character by character into your browser to go to some like educational page. (laughs) Oh my God, I forgot about that. You have like teacher passes out paper with printed URLs on it. It would take a good like 20 minutes for everyone to actually arrive at the page because to type it all correctly. I've thought about that. Wow. This was life. This was how you engaged with multimedia. (laughs) And they had so much stuff blocked on the school computers that it was almost impossible to use them. I mean, you weren't logging on to Neopets at school. I can tell you that much. So by the time, you know, we had all like accessed the URL, class was almost over. And then the teacher was like, okay, we don't have time to like do this other thing. So you can play Wrath of the Gods. And I was like, Wrath of the Gods? (laughs) And we turned on, (laughs) put in this CD-ROM and up came a ridiculously pixelated... (laughs) background of like a Mediterranean landscape and in the foreground a weird jerky video of a person talking wearing you know a toga and some olive uh, leaves around their head. and that like Justin Long looking main character <laughs> did look like Justin <laughs> and Wrath of the Gods was and remains to this day one of the most incredible games I've ever played so or if seen. If you can figure out how to play it, like God play it. There are some videos of it on YouTube. I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast before. We probably have because this is like deep sibling yeah. lore this, yeah, this is deep <laughs> in our family. Lore. <laughs> um, but I'll put some videos of gameplay on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Oh, I um, can't wait to like try to force Issa to play it once she gets a little older. Oh, there's, there's no way. If she can't palette the Muppets... <laughs> I think she Wrath was pretty young and there was a lot of pressure on her when we put on the Muppet Christmas Carol and we're just like, Isa, Isa, look, you must if love you it, don't Isa. love this, we can't be stupid. Yeah, like that was very, you know, we put too much pressure on her. I think try it's again. You know? we'll, we'll try again. We'll try again. Isa, if you're um, listening. I, I still... I know. Hi, Isa. Yeah, we love listening. you so Issa much. Isa and her mom, Bea, listen sometimes. Yeah, hi, guys. Hi. Um, but uh, I think Muppet Treasure Island will have better results. Yeah. And if you want to hear me talk about Muppet Treasure Island for 500 years, go listen to our Sabriel the Abhorsening episode. Hashtag Tim Curry. <laughs> Hashtag Tim Curry. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Wrath of the Gods was... You're playing... Um, you're playing like a mishmash of different important figures in Greek mythology. I think you can like most closely be aligned with a combination of um, Oedipus, Hercules. Oedipus? Yeah, because he finds the... uh, He finds things under the rock, which he finds the sword and his... um, okay. And then there's something else that like ties him to his family under the rock. And then remember, you go to the court where the king is trying to kill you and his wife is into you. I do remember that. I guess I, I had And you have mysterious parentage. I hadn't read Oedipus until I was quite a bit older. 
Okay, anyway, so he's a combination of like Oedipus, Hercules, like Odysseus, and then uh, a lot of other characters show up. Like you get you get some of everything. You go to Hades, like yeah. that part is yeah. really fun. And you, you have to put Cerberus to sleep, and that part is like very annoying because you have to click between all these tunnels in a massive mm-hmm. like cliff face. You meet the fates, and you get to decide if your weapon of choice will be a bow or a club. Yeah. And they juggle their eye around. It's the best game ever. Yeah. It's it's clearly a labor of love. All of the cutscenes are just weird videos of people in costumes. <laughs> Set against the landscape, um, you get to ride a chariot between different towns, which is also very funny. Um, it's just like its wonders never cease. Um, yeah. So anyway, Wrath of the Gods and this book are very connected for me because they're both mishmashes of Greek lore. Yeah. And the reason that so when I was a kid I loved reading this book because you get to feel really smart and winked at when you figure out who the different yeah. stories are actually about and which myths are at play it really feels and, like you're in on like a like deeper lore which you are exactly it's like the childhood equivalent of today like a deadpool movie where it's like oh (laughs) references 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 but a lot better and more fun classier you know Mm -hmm. yes um where you just get to feel like you're in this cool greek myth club with lloyd alexander and who wouldn't want that yeah But then the piece that I didn't really reflect on as a kid, but loved as an adult, is the way that this book exists to create a reality in which you can really understand how those myths came to be. Because like we talked about in the summary, Lloyd Alexander presents real-world examples of ways that the different creatures and events and gods all contained within Greek mythology mm-hmm. could really have existed yeah. and like what their origins actually were. And then because we're getting all of the fourth wall breaking storytelling advice throughout, um, I guess it's not technically fourth wall breaking, but it is very meta. Like there is such a commentary on creating a story within this yeah. story yeah. <laughs> that's very concerned with stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's more about the experience of those stories than any real overarching plot. Like I think it's kind of intentional that the plot is like kind of silly and all over the place um, because we're not supposed to be paying that much attention to it. Yeah. 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 It's like we keep saying it's a series of stories. And we get what, you know, I feel is the thesis of the book really early on when Fronto is talking to Lucian about his tale and Lucian starts to be like, well, wait, what? (laughs) Like, is that all accurate? Mm -hmm. And Fronto says, if a storyteller worried about the facts, how could he ever get at the truth? Which I love. And it frames the whole book so nicely because we're seeing, oh, okay, so... A kid with little um, goat horns and furs on becomes a mischievous little 
satyr and this group of people who spend all their time on their horses become centaurs. Yeah. And one of the funniest moments for me is when Odious is talking about coming across the Trojan War mm-hmm. and <laughs> persuading them to you know, do a Trojan horse. Um, but instead of a horse, it was actually an ass because he thought that would be funnier. Yeah. And then we get commentary from Fronto that's like, mm, if it were a horse, it would be more grand. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly that is what eventually came yeah. to be. I also loved when they're talking about the golden fleece and it's explained as there is this river with a lot of gold deposits in it. So the people that live there hang their sheep's fleeces in the water so that as it rushes through them, it catches all the gold and then you can just comb it out and you got gold. And I was like, what a wonderful, you know, natural description for how a golden fleece could exist. Um, And it was also fascinating to have this, you know, deeply mythologically Greek setting without gods and the way that the people talk about it when they're sharing the origin stories is that the gods are gone because of a variety of reasons. Basically, the people were super annoying, (laughs) (laughs) but then that also allows us to have more focus on the humans and their actions and what they actually bring about. And you get someone like the Lady of Wild Things who is the most powerful, you know, quote-unquote magical person Yeah, and in the she's book. much more out of, like, pagan lore. Exactly, and she's not doing magic. And Joy in the Dance, who is a prophet and who is a pythoness, Her prophecies aren't, you know, it's not like a lightning bolt is striking her and she's screaming it out. She just kind of has a feeling sometimes about what's going to happen for some people. And when she is using her quote unquote magic to affect people, what she does is just really persuade them to believe what it is that she's saying to them. Yeah, she's more of a hypnotist. Exactly. It's all in the power of speech. She makes them believe they're drinking wine and then makes them believe that they're dizzy and Mm -hmm. that they have to go to sleep in order to thwart enemies. Um, So I thought that that was all really clever. And what a great idea. Yeah. You know, it's just it it, it was such a smart little fun book. Yeah, it's it's just great. You should read it. We also, in all of these alternate histories of Greek myths, women are much more centered and Mm -hmm. not just because they were raped by gods and then parented specific figures or were the subject of a war because they were really hot. So beautiful (laughs) that, yeah, everyone wanted them, but it caused a war where thousands upon thousands of people died. And that sort of alternate history is also very much in line with, you know, poking holes in the magic, poking holes in the glory of war, like taking away the grandiosity, showing like it was just real life and this is what actually happened. And it was horrible. (laughs) And those battles were really bad. (laughs) I don't don't care to exist within them or comment on them. I don't want to talk about it. Um, So... In my opinion, masterfully done. I did try to come up with the 
sources of each of these stories that we get or whatever the connection is to actual Greek myth. Um, We had the male version of Pandora, which I think is also in line with the centering of women and then the men being the fools. Yeah, instead of like Eve and Pandora... It makes so much more sense that Pandora would be a man. Yes, or that Eve would be a man. <laughs> hmm Yeah, and I thought that I thought that, that story was really interesting. Pandora is a man named Think Too Late in yeah. Joy in the Dances yeah. story. Um, and then also we get the story of, like I mentioned, the Golden Fleece mm-hmm. of the Trojan Horse. Yeah. Um, there are... There's a lot of parallels with the Odyssey. Um, Otis is turned away by his sweetheart because he comes back after being, you know, gone on a journey for a long time. And she's like throwing things at him and like, what the heck? Mm. And then he just leaves again instead of trying to like (laughs) work through the cock. Oh, no, dude, dude. It's so funny that he's just like, oops, I don't want to deal with communicating through this. So I'll go away again. Off on another they perilous d- journey by myself. Yeah, exactly. They do get together in the end. And while we're talking about gender roles within the book, I do want to just discuss um, something that a lot of people critiqued about this book. I saw more than once people saying that they thought it was an oversimplification of women being good, powerful, smart, perfect, you know, sort of verging on Mary Sue territory, mm-hmm. and then men being dumb, bumbling, mm-hmm. um, constantly messing up, okay. and the women being kind of like just exhausted and exasperated by them and then like setting things right. Okay. Um, and like on the one hand, I get what they're saying, but on the other, I think that's part of the intent of the narrative. Um, I think it's meant to, like I said, kind of flip some of these focuses mm. of characters and swap their gender roles. Yeah. And I also just think that because there is such a focus on glory through violence and glory through war ah. that is like a constant thread running through Greek myth okay. and so many different folklores that that can be translated to, okay, if you have that energy and that's your focus, then you can't actually connect to like deeper meaning and insight. And you are going to continue to mess up because you're just focused on like ill gotten gains. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it is commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And I guess all of this is to say like, there are really cool female characters in this book. I do think that like they could have been explored more. I do. I would have rather had like joy in the dance as our point of view character rather than Lucian. That's a good point. I think that yeah. would have been really cool. Yeah. Um, but I also see why Lucian was used the way he was. And it is cool to watch his journey from like, I desire great deeds to, you know, I want to be a storyteller and get married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that might be part of what makes uh, Lucian remind me of Aragon is because there's a little of this feeling of like someone mm-hmm. else should be protagonist of this story and it would be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I did. I did also try to look up bear people and understand where that was coming from because there are a few things that are just like 
slightly different from how words were used in Greek mythology. Like, for example, Arcadia was a place of reference in ancient Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was supposed to be like a sort of wilderness where a lot of spirits lived and Pan lived there. Um, oh, yeah. And, I think that you know, there's a- lots of gods in and out. Um, I think there's so I thought that, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I think there's a map in age of mythology that's called Arcadia. Mm, I, interesting. I hope I'm not wrong. Cause you could easily look this up. <laughs> um, but, and I think it's well, like and a Arcadia, map. Um, isn't the name of where they live in life is strange Arcadia Bay. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I think it's a sort reference. of like, <laughs> yes, I think it's a sort of like, you know, ancient utopian god place and i imagine that you know it was used more just like for kind of a vague referential setting yeah like a storytelling setting and i tried looking up the bear people and i did find a story about um let's see polyfonti i don't know how to pronounce her name um who wanted to stay a virgin and not get raped by gods. Um, So Aphrodite uh, made her lust after a bear and mate with a bear because she was mad at her. Um, And uh, then she gave birth to two bear-human sons, Mm. Agrius and Aureus, and then they were like crazed cannibals <laughs> who attacked people. <laughs> so Wee. that sounds kind of consistent with the bear people. I don't know. I just, all of this is like probably not what Lloyd Alexander was thinking of, but I'm just putting it out there because I do think it makes sense in some capacity. And he was so well read and brilliant that like, I wouldn't be surprised if there were little pieces of this that were pulled through for the book. We've already discussed magic systems. Love what Alexander does here. We always love ways for magic to feel like it exists in the real world. Um, I think we've already (laughs) discussed animals just like animals in this book pretty thoroughly as well because of our dear friend Fronto the ass. And we did romantic realism too. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right into pretend food. Pretend food. Pretend food dance that you can't see. Got a pretend food dance going on today. (laughs) It is a bit of a hungry book, a bit of a questing food book. Um, but we also get some fun stuff. I love the way we come across a lot of really hungry people in the book, and then they just eat an absurd amount to the point that the other party members are like, uh, you, you know, you, we're, we're questing, okay, right? Like, buddy? we can't just go to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when Lucien meets Fronto, he asks if he is hungry and says, I don't have that much, but you're welcome to share. And then Fronto says, not much, a feast. One of the few advantages of my condition is that not only can I eat grass, thistles, hay, and all such disgusting vegetation, 
but human nourishment as well. Yeah. My digestion is universally excellent. So too my appetite, growing keener with every fleeting moment. Then he chugs a bunch of wine. I really wish that I had that kind of gastrointestinal fortitude. Honestly, I'm, I'm quite you jealous. You do not. You do not. I've started eating garlic again. Mm. That's my big news. Um, but I know this is not the venue to share it in. <laughs> Later, when Joy in the Dance is trying to, and successfully, hypnotize a guard so they can get past him, she says... Yeah, she really is like a hypnotist. Yeah, no, that was was the perfect way to articulate it um, when you said it earlier. She says that he has a roasted partridge. It smells delicious. And a big pitcher of whatever you like best, which is some really fun pretend food territory. I want a big picture of whatever I like best. I'm I'm not going to like do the work of coming up with something specific, but it's what you want. Which which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. What if she was like chocolate milk and he was like, I want wine. Then when they're with the goat people, they uh, enjoy a lot of fresh goat cheese and goat milk. And Buckthorn tells the story of the origin of the goat king. And he talks about the great goat who was like their original god creator and never filled, who was a nasty fellow god that he came across. And he takes never filled to give him something to eat. And he brings out a wheel of cheese and cuts a wedge and then Neverfield eats the whole wheel instead of the wedge. He cuts a slice from a loaf of bread and Neverfield eats the whole loaf instead of the slice. He pours a cup of milk and instead he drinks the whole pitcher full. And then he has all the jars of honey, all the sacks of wheat and barley. And I really liked that story. Um, Mm. It too is similar to, I think there's actually an African myth that was in a book of different oh, African folklore that, that really we had cool, as kids. It, like it was a really too. cool book. Yeah. yeah, I don't I didn't see it when I was like cataloging all of the books in Mom's Garage. It, it reminded me of No Face also somewhere. when he eats the, the oh, like totally. frog attendant at the bathhouse who's like super yeah. greedy and then that's when he just starts eating the world. <laughs> really good no face vibes there. Yeah. <laughs> And then the last pretend food I want to call out is the drink of leisure of the horse clan, which is fermented mare's yeah, milk. Yeah, that sounds really gross. Um, that doesn't sound good yeah. to me. Um, but as people who have struggled with, <laughs> wait, what is the curdled, um, the curdled like milk sweet that we've talked about in other episodes that's come up Um Oh, I know what you're talking about. It has like, I don't know, lemon juice and stuff in it or something. Yeah, you use lemon or vinegar. Syllabub. Syllabub. I'm pretty sure it's yeah, syllabub. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, we've discussed syllabub here before. Syllabub even sounds <laughs> yeah. pustulant. Made by curdling sweet cream or milk. Yeah. Um, definitely like in a syllabub territory um, but Fronto gets really drunk on it and then fends off all of the lady donkeys who are hot for him for some reason um, <laughs> it's very I mean, weird <laughs> like why would they be so into a donkey well and he's very oh oh yeah because they're mares they're not donkeys. yeah no they're, they're horses, horses. Right, right, right. yeah yeah because they don't have donkeys there yeah. um well you know he's an he's 
he's like cool and new and different. And like, yeah. also he's funny. Ladies love. That's true. That's guy. true. Ladies love a, a funny king. That's right. Um, a funny short king in his case, because he's also a dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that wraps up the pretend food. Um, if anyone has ever had good fermented mare's milk and got drunk on it and then played a dangerous game, please let us know. We'd love to tell your story. Yeah. Let's select and rate our badass ladies. My badass lady is going to be Joy in the Dance. And I rate her... I, I rate her autonomy to continue to do what she wants to do. Yeah, that's a good rating for her because she does like disobey her mom. But then in the end, her mom is like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It seems to work out okay. Yeah. It's funny how those stakes really change. Because yes. literally in the story, it's like, I've sworn my life to her. I can't do yeah. anything else. Yeah, like, and then this her, is my calling. And her mom like calls her out and is like, no, you have obligations. Like This is what you're going to be doing. Yeah, but turns out things are a little more flexible than expected. Yep. My baddest lady is going to be Marina, who is Odious's sweetheart. Um, she gets left behind again and again, yeah. and she becomes a small business owner. Yeah, yeah. She, she has I to, related to her. Yeah, she has to do like, things herself. Yeah, I've been taking care of, like, I started an inn. I have this whole business here. Like, if you want to come and be a part of this, you have to help. Like, you can't just be going off on adventures all the time. I appreciated that, uh, like me, she has a small business owner. And, you know, sometimes you got to go things alone. Yeah. She, I don't wish for her that she, I I guess my rating for her is that she, like, met someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have to just like wait and pine for all of those decades um, yeah. for a guy who like, I, you know, I don't mind odious. I think it's funny that I'm pronouncing his name as odious. It's probably it not. Is, right. yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to say I think it's odious. That's what they said. Odious. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like, I like odious. odious. <laughs> yeah. That's my true feelings about him. Definitely not he's who just, you like, want to have very, a romantic like, relationship with. Yeah, he's very, like, self-focused. Um, he's very, like, brusque as well and also very, well, I've had a tough life, so, like, don't you tell me. I was like, well, you kind of made your life that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my rating for Marina is um, someone else <laughs> that can help her run the inn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that concludes our episode on The Arcadians by Lloyd Alexander. Yeah. Love this Love this book. Had a great time. We're trying to pick like slightly lighter things right now because the depression is creeping in yeah. for us both. Yeah. It's November, baby. El Depresso has arrived. Here it is. It's pooping all over the house. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. We are still on Twitter. Maybe I'll close the Twitter account. I don't know if it even still exists in a month. And you can. Um, at, <laughs> at dragonbabiespod. <laughs> and check and out my Instagram at pagandoodles for art and thoughts. P-I-G-N. The letter N is in Nancy. <laughs> 
D-O-D-D-O-D-L-E-S. You know how to spell doodles. Biggin duties. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Our next book will be Rag Witch by Garth Nix. Garth Nix. A lot of Garth Nix this fall but I said this on our Instagram the other day I do feel fall is the perfect time to read Sabriel the cold is creeping in you can be cozy you can eat toffees so (laughs) let's cover a different book by him Ragwitch I'm Grace and I'm Madeline until next time goodbye